We're continuing on this morning in our series on the book of James, Authentic Faith in Action, and it really does especially uh, correlate the title of the series with this morning's message more so than than any of the others. But uh, I'd encourage you to turn in your Bible or on your smartphone device or however it is that you read the scriptures to the book of James chapter 2, and we're going to that chapter this morning. I uh, told you last Sunday that we're going to move to this chapter. Um, instead of taking weeks on it, we'll get it done in two. So excited to share in the word together that God has for us today. The idea that faith works, having a faith that works, is something that James wants us to get a grasp of this morning. And let's just dive right in together with see it on the screen if you want to follow along that way. James chapter 2, starting with verse 14. The word of the Lord says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and tremble. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Shouldn't that be a goal for all of us to be thought of as God's friend? What I've read that passage so many times, and lately that's jumped out at me, that we can be known as the friend of God. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is also dead. I've told you in this sermon series that James is, is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And uh, the reason, one of the reasons it's one of my favorites is because it's so practical. It is down to earth. It is easy to understand. When he says that the tongue is a dangerous part of my body, I get that. When he says that I shouldn't play favorites between rich and poor, I get that. When he says in the last time we talked about together that real Christianity reaches out to those who have no way to help themselves, that makes sense to me. But I have to um, say that in this passage this morning, James does a little bit of theology. Now, I have a book on my, on my shelf. It's called Coffee Shop Theology. And this maybe is a way that we could think of James relating to us, except for me that doesn't work because I don't like coffee. Um, so this is Donut Shop Theology in my mind today, of where, where his teachings that we've been going through in this book so far have been about what happens when we have God in our life. This is what we look it's how we live. This is how we move. This is how we react to difficulty. This is how we face temptation. This is how we face it when we have two people from very different backgrounds. And how are we to treat them in the light of God's unconditional love for us? And down through the list, we've gone about how our faith interacts with the way that we live. And so it's like partway through the book, James just takes a really deep breath and basically lays it all on the line for us. 
He says, this is what I'm trying to say, and this is what I'm going to be saying in the moments to come, is that, that our words and our actions, our testimony and our life, our words and our deeds need to match in order for everything to be right. James is saying faith lives every moment of every day. Now, I wasn't prepared as I got ready and started to study this passage um, to, to learn that one of the people, theologians, uh, one of the great reformers, Martin Luther, that I've always respected and looked up to, did not like the book of James at all. In fact, he was so um, frustrated with all the things about works and and this is what it looks like when you're saved, and this is what you do, because in his culture, that was all they did. You buy your way in, you work your way in, you earn your way in, or someone else buys your way in for you. And he's like, that is not what it's about, because remember, the whole premise of his Reformation was that we are saved by grace through faith, and that alone. And so when he comes to the book of James, and it's and its works, and its deeds, and its actions, and its doing, and its, and its being, and its describing the life of the Christian, he, he said, we really basically said we should cut it out of the Bible, because it's going to mess us all up. And I'm grateful that um, there were people around him that tempered him, and he didn't have the power to do that on his own. That's why we have church government, and church councils, and church bodies. Uh, but scholars haven't um, ended their discussions about the about the, the polarizations that we can sometimes see within Christianity in this regard. Um, you think of Paul and his writing to a certain group of, of people who were under the law, and their experience was doing everything right, fulfilling every letter and, and every dot. And his own background was, you know, I was the, the righteous of the righteous. I did the best that more than anyone else could have done, but in light of God's grace, that really doesn't matter. And you come to James, who is like, you know, he talks some about faith, but a lot of this is about where the rubber meets the road. It is faith in action. And so I read in a commentary this week that some people argue that the Bible is contradicting itself. That Paul is saying salvation is by faith, by grace through faith alone. And James is saying, no, you can't show me your faith without your works. And so they claim that the Bible is in opposition to itself and a careful, thoughtful, prayerful reading is that I believe God is really trying to balance things out. And like in our day, there's a lot of false teaching out there. There's a lot of people, even preachers on television, who've gone off the deep end. And, and so I love this description I read in, in a book this week. It's, a, it's like James and Paul are like gunslingers in the Wild West. Not, not you know, dueling each other, but it's like to back. And James is talking to the people who are saying that they have faith, but there's nothing in their life that shows that they're saved. And Paul is over here with the people saying, you're not going to earn your way in. It's going to be by faith alone. And so they're not in opposition to each other, but in essence, they are fighting the same battle in our minds and our hearts about the way we wrap ourselves around truths of the scriptures, that we are saved by faith. And so James comes to us today and says very plainly and simply that if you have put your faith in God and you claim to be his follower, then there are a lot of things that are going to happen in your life because of the change that God is making. And it is a faith-filled works life that we live. I think that as we work through the passage in the few minutes we have remaining today, there's three kinds of faith that James 
helps us to process through. And I think that the first two are going to be pretty obvious that they're probably not complete in, their, in themselves. And then and, in, and it will all kind of come together as we follow God's thoughts through this passage. So the first thing, you'll see it on the screen, a kind of faith that James talks about is a verbal faith. This is something that's done very outwardly. And I read a study this week that 80, 86% of Americans claim to be Christians. We're very quick to verbalize our faith, and that number has slowly dwindled down through the years. But even in our culture today, there are still a vast majority, the high majority of people in our nation who claim to be Christians. It's a verbal faith. It is something they're willing to say with their mouths. I wonder when I turn on the evening news why it's so covered with people who seem to have no interest in the things of God. In so many ways. I think of the people in my family who claim to be Christians, and I'm just wondering where the fruit really is in our life. And James is saying that our actions need to meet our words. If you could go to the end of my message, there's a picture of a a gentleman on a wheelbarrow. This is a guy years ago, actually 150 years ago now, um, who was a renowned adventurist, tightrope walker, and and I'm sorry, 150 years ago, the pictures just weren't in HD. That's the best you're going to get. We, we can't, we can't um, digitalize it any more than that. But this guy was, uh, was um, for two years, he spent a lot of his time um, walking a tightrope over Niagara Falls. Now, if you want to see what that's like in today's time, you can YouTube it and you can see people doing it now. But from 1859 to 1860, Charles was um, this guy who would walk this tightrope. And you've all heard the story, right, of, of a guy who went to Niagara Falls and said, you all believe I can do this, right? And he did it. And then, uh, so he did it by himself, and then he did it with a wheelbarrow, right? You've heard this. And so he went there and back with the wheelbarrow, and he came back to the crowd, and he says, all right, now, who believes in the crowd that I can do this with someone in the wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yeah, we believe, we believe. And then he goes, all right, I need a volunteer to get in. And everybody ran for the hills. This is the guy that is the part of that story. That's his picture. When you hear that illustration, it really happened. It really was a true story. Um, And during his multiple um, times crossing the Niagara Falls, he didn't just walk across it. He at one time made a meal out there on the tightrope and then lowered it to the boat, the Maid of the Mist, from the tightrope and fed them from his perch above Niagara Falls. He was a man of incredible skill and talent, and I can't imagine, but that we were there, we'd have believed that he could pretty much do whatever he said he could, because he did whatever he claimed he could do. But when it came down to the person, all those people said, yeah, we believe, we believe, you can do it. All right, put your faith into action, and there was no tears. I do know there's a picture I didn't put up there that he had one of his um, co-workers or boss or somebody that he carried on his back as he crossed the wire together. Um, I don't know how much he paid his boss to do that or if he did it willingly, but there was one volunteer that was willing to follow through on what they said they believed. But James is saying our Christianity is more than just a verbal assent to say that God is someone that we believe in. I can't tell you how many people I talk to in this common era that we live in today who are very quick to say, oh, I believe in God. I know there's a God. I know that he's real. I was like, well, when was the last time you went to church? Uh, they look at the ground. Oh, you know, when was the last time you prayed? And, you know, their eyes go somewhere else, and you talk to them about how rubber meets the road of what they say with their mouth and the way they live their life, and there seems to be, in many places, a disconnect 
in the way that we live. And so James is writing a letter to a church, to a family of believers. Now, for the most part, they're scattered all over the place. All over creation, they've been scattered because of their declaration of following God. And yet even then, with all of those troubles, James reminds them that just saying, I believe in God, is not enough. There's got to be some action that's backed up by the way that we live our lives. And he gives an illustration as an example of how this plays out. And and it's, again, a really rubber-meets-the-road kind of thing. It's like if someone comes to you and has no clothes on, and you just say, man, I'm going to pray for you. I hope you find something to wear. How is that? How is that God's love? How is that true Christianity to say you want to help them and you hope that it's okay and do nothing about it? See, that's where what James says gets more difficult. It's easy to understand what he's saying, but it's another thing to think over the opportunities that God has placed on our life and the way we live and the places that we go to hear someone's story about how they lack something. And so much of often is the case, even as a pastor, the temptation is to say, I'm going to pray for you and then keep on going. And James says, gut check time, heart check time, reality check, True Christianity, real faith, the kind that has been changed and transformed by the love of God, isn't content with just saying, keep on going, I'm going to pray for you. It means that we're going to do something about the needs that we see in the people around us, the issues that they have and the lack that they have that God has given us the power to reach out and do something about. But so much of the time, our faith is On Sunday morning, we love the Lord. I love this song. I'm so excited that I'm here. I'm so glad I'm at First Friends. And then we walk out the doors from here. And we see people in need. And we are quick to pray and slow to do a whole lot else. You see, the thing about James bringing a practical book is, I was telling someone the other day, it hits you right here and here. It hits you between the eyes and it pierces your heart because it gets down to the nitty-gritty of our spiritual life. 99.9% of the time, the pastor isn't going to follow you around to see how you put your faith in action. 99.9% now the 0.1% of you are freaked out right now. (laughs) You are scared because are you the one? I'm not telling. You'll find out one way or the other. But the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The fact of the matter is, if we claim to be in our children of God, then then he goes with us and he walks with us and he wants to minister through us. And as as I continue on my Christian journey, this word opportunity just continues to resound in my heart. God has given us the opportunity to worship in a beautiful place. God has given us the opportunity. You chose to come here this morning. He has given the opportunity to join in Christian fellowship. Aren't you grateful? He has given you the chance to join in prayer together and serving together and giving together and all the things that we do as a church together. And we sometimes buy the lie that once this opportunity is over, noon or whatever time the pastor ends his sermon is over, then the opportunity to live the rest of our life opens up. And I just want to say with all the love of my heart this morning that what we do here is the rest of our life when we leave this place. 
And that's what James wants us to realize. It is not just about verbalizing it on Sunday morning. It is about actualizing it on the street corner. It is about actualizing it at the grocery store. It is about doing something at the school, talking to someone, loving someone, helping to understand what particular thing you could do for them in that moment, in the place that they are. Because James says if it's just something you say, I hope it works out for you and you go your way, how do you show God's love by doing nothing? If you're taking notes, write that one down. How do you show God's love by doing nothing? James says there's a verbal kind of faith, and at the end of the day, that's kind of what it ends with. A whole lot of talk is like the country song years ago. Um, I don't listen to it anymore, but I used to. It said we need a little less talk and a lot more action. In Christianity today, we need a lot less talk and a lot more action in our spiritual life. What is God calling you and I to go out there and do for the needs of the people around us? We need to pray. I am not discounting that it is a huge part of what we do. If we pretend that we can go and serve without prayer, then we're kidding ourselves. But James says it's not enough just to say, I hope it works out for you. He is calling his church to be the difference in the world around us. You and I are called to make a difference on the street corner, in our neighborhood, certainly in our own homes, in our schools, in place of businesses. And it is one thing for you to go to work and to tell your friends at work that you're praying for them. What are you doing for them? How are you showing your Christianity is alive and and a huge part of who you are that it results in you taking the opportunities that God places in your life and doing something about the love that God has placed deep inside of you. You know, Robert, since you've came, I know that others have shared the same way, but I just feel like this, God's, it's like a well that's filling up with water, and there's a spring somewhere down deep into the ground that no one can really see, but everyone knows it's there, and the water level is rising, the temperature is rising, and when God does that, it means he's about ready to do something. That is going to be water that overflows into the lives of those around us. And if we have the stream of the Holy Spirit working in our life, then he's going to overflow in the world around us. So there's a verbal faith. There's another kind of faith that James talks about, and I'm going to use it this way as an intellectual faith. And he gives an illustration in this passage. He says, you know what? You believe in God, good for you. But hey, guess what? The demons believe too and tremble. And there's no recognition in that passage that they ever do anything about the knowledge they say that they have. Talked with a person who attended our church years ago when we lived in Ohio, and they seemed visibly, at the time I was sitting up front, I miss sitting up front to see you worshiping, or that way I can visit you tomorrow if you fell asleep during something. I can go, you know, I see you now. Um, but they were, they were moved during the worship time, and, and they kind of snuck out at the end, and I didn't get to see them, so I had got their name on a visitor's card before they left, and I went to see them, and, and they said essentially what James is talking about. We know there's a God, and we know he's powerful, um, but that's kind of as far as it's ever gone. And we don't know what to do about it, and thankfully they were hungry. Thankfully they, they were looking for answers. They wanted some kind of, some kind of meeting of this of the need of their life for more than themselves and this almighty, powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, 
is out there as a force somewhere. They wanted to have more than just the recognition that he was. They wanted to know that he is a part of who they are and is the way they live their life. And so James just says today in our daily life, there are some people who just say, you know, there's a God out there somewhere, but I'm just not sure he's for me. The Bible says that God so loved the world. That's every one of us, amen? Every one of us he so loved that he sent his son to die for every single one of us here this morning because we matter, because we're important to him, because he saw the opportunity to come down into your life and into mine and change us, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but for all of eternity. For all of eternity. Remember when Paul was talking with one of the Roman leaders and had shared about the history of of the faith of that day? Remember those words, you almost caused me to believe? I almost believe in Christianity. And there are scores, according to the polls, um, according to research, a vast majority of our society today is somewhere in this realm between verbal and intellectual faith. They know that they're know that there's a spiritual realm or some kind of balance between those two things. But verbal knowledge and head knowledge has never become heart knowledge. And we live in a culture today that is, that is destroying their image of Christianity because of people who claim to be believers, who fall, who claim to have all of it together and then walk away and leave a lot of mess in their wake. James says it's one thing to say you're a believer. It's another thing to live like it. He says it's one thing to say that you believe in God. Well, the demons do that too. When was the last time you got compared to a bunch of demons? Hopefully none of us fit into that category this morning. But the fact of the matter is that if this sermon got preached at every church, there's going to be some people who get correlated between those two because it's something that they know in their head but they just haven't found saving grace in their heart. You know, if, uh, and I don't hope this ever happens, but if, if, uh, if I got a call from President Trump, I would probably know his voice just like that. Now, I don't know why he'd be calling me. I hope I never get a phone call from him. But if I do, I would know his voice. I know his voice. I, I would know what it sounds like. But does it mean that I know him? I could get on Google and look up the names of his kids and the names of his businesses and spend half of my Sunday afternoon looking up all this research, and I would have facts about where he I know where he lives, what he does, where he's from, some of the things he's done I don't want to know. I could know a whole lot of information about this man, but does it mean that I know him? I don't know what his hobbies are. I don't know what he thinks about when he lays in bed at night. I don't know what his fears are, his dreams are, his goals are. I don't know anything about the man. I just know about him, that his name is what it is. A lot of people know that God is God, but that's about as far as it goes. And James is saying God has given us the opportunity, that invitation to come into his presence and to discern his voice into a kind of, a kind of, of Christianity that, that lives and breathes and moves and is vibrant, and is exciting. And there's nothing more frustrating for me as a pastor, or as a Christian, for example, to meet someone who says they believe in God, and, go, and may even go to church a lot, 
and there's just there's there's all of this verbal assent to I know real, and there's no evidence in their Christian life that he is, except that they show up to church when they're able to. So there's a third and last, and quickly we'll go through it, kind of faith that James shares. It's on the screen. There is a saving faith. There must be more to the Christian life, James says, than to, to say it with our mouth and to believe it in our minds. God goes so much deeper into the persona of a believer, of a human being, than, than our head, than our intellect, and certainly James talks about our speech. But he goes into the very depths of our soul, the core, the center of who we are as human beings. Need for purpose. Need for satisfaction that goes beyond what anything in this world could provide. Need for grace. Need for forgiveness. Need for a plan. Need for relationships. Need for something beyond this life. I was talking with a young person the other day at the hospital, and they were talking about how they could die. They didn't know what was going to happen, and they were scared about what would happen when they breathed their last. And I just said in the, really quickly in the time that I have, do you know that this world is not our home? You know the song we're just passing through? How many of you know that song? God has placed us here to connect with us so that he can spend eternity continuing to show us how much he loves us. And so in that moment with that young person, I was able to share with him that there is a God who loves you who wants nothing more on this earth than for you to know and to accept and to live in his love and grace as you walk through this life. I talked with my grandpa a few months ago. He's 86 now and uh, doesn't know. Every time the phone rings, I, I just, I don't know. He's at that age where any moment, any breath could be his last. And he said, I, you know, I look back at my life and, and I did a lot, had a lot of fun and did a lot of good things and and sometimes I just wonder what it was all about. Why was I ever really brought here? And I think that at some time in our life, we're all going to ask ourselves that question, why are we really here? What's our purpose? Is it just to, just to get a job and get a retirement account and have kids and, you know, have a car? I mean, it, does that really satisfy you? There's always a better car. There's always a better job. There's always more kids. Maybe less kids, if that's what you want, depending on how it's going. Uh, it's just, there's nothing on this earth that can satisfy the human heart like Jesus. There's nothing and no one on this earth that can touch you in that core of who you are like God himself. And he sent his son to die on the cross in order that we could know this saving kind of faith. And so what James does in the end of this passage is he talks about, about two of the most unlikely people in that day. One of them was a prostitute. When was the last time you had someone like that lifted up in church or in any kind of spiritual realm for, for having it together? You see, she realized that she had a need to be saved, literally her physical life, but also her spiritual life. And until we realize that we are desperately in need of God's grace, we're probably going to miss all this and stay in the first two realms of what our faith is like. We're going to stay with the verbal, I know he's real and he's out there somewhere, but we're going to miss that connection of where he's in here. But James, these people, Abraham and Rahab, realized that they were desperately in need of God. Then they made a decision that reflected the need that they have. 
You know, Abraham's story, God says, you know, it's been going good so far, but it's going to get real, real right now. And so what did God ask him to sacrifice? His son, his, his lineage, the material evidence of God's goodness and God's promise, everything that he dreamed of, everything that he'd been counting on, everything that he would ever be was embodied in his son. And God says, I want you to sacrifice your only son to me. This is not going to be a closing on ethics. We can talk about that another day. We believe that God is sovereign and God obviously had a plan. God will never ask you to do or be or say something. He won't give you the strength and the power and the ability to through. And that's what he did for Abraham. But Abraham would have never known the depths of God's willingness to commit himself to Abraham until he stepped out and he did something about the faith that he said that he had. And that's what James is trying to say to us is that life is hard and pain happens and things go wrong and our questions are real and difficult. And the problem sometimes when we wrap, we try to wrap our minds about what it means to believe in God is so hard to understand. And James is simply saying it has to be a, a, a decision of your will to move towards God. I wonder if we've ever really heard about Abraham if he wasn't willing to take that very difficult and painful step to follow God to the full extent that he required him to follow. Rahab had to forsake her career, her family, her friends. I mean, a little bit of family she was able to save, but everything that she knew, her culture, her town, you know, everything that she'd grown up with was going to be ripped away. But it was the only way to be free. And I think that we pretend ourselves that there's no cost to following Christ. There's always a cost. He would cost him his life on the cross. And there's something in our life that, is, that, that God wants to ask us for as we are discerning how we're going to follow him. And so it oftentimes is a really difficult decision that we have to make. Are we going to let go of what we believe we have to hold on to to be happy and satisfied and fulfilled? Can we let go of that? to receive the one thing that will really satisfy our heart, really give us the answers to the questions that we have. And James simply invites us into this wonderful opportunity to enter into a trusting, loving, saving kind of faith relationship with God beyond our words and goes beyond our ability to know he's out there somewhere and the ability to say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Come inside of me. I want to be all yours you to be all mine. I thought about that as we sang the song, Lord, I need you, because we need him so desperately. But the fact of the matter is, some people can spend their entire Christian life saying, God, you're out there somewhere, but I'm good. And that's the kind of faith that James says, um, you know what? That's not really what God wants to do. There is so much more, and so much more God wants to do in you and in me. So you might be here this morning, and, and you might say, you know, Pastor, that's been kind of me. God's kind of out there somewhere, and, and always real, but there just seems to be a lack of connection between my heart and God. And James simply says, just believe. Just trust him. And then when God says to move, that's where your decisions continue to have to follow through. You know, when I was called to ministry, I'd been a Christian for over a year at that point, and I would have, if you'd have told me at the time I gave my heart to the Lord that he was going to call me to be a pastor, I'd have laughed in your face. 
well, I still can laugh in your face if you tell it to me now. I, that was nowhere near where I thought God was going to have me go. But people were praying for me, and God was working on me. And so in my walk with him, it became apparent uh, during the camp meeting service that God was saying, hey, this is where I want you to go. Are you going to follow me into the next opportunity that I've provided for you to live a happily satisfied free life? Have you ever argued with God? Because that's exactly what I did. I said, what? Are you crazy? I think you got the wrong Peter. Is there another Peter around here somewhere? Because you just missed him by a few people. That was the last thing I was expecting God to say. The last thing I was expecting God to ask me to do. The last way that God was, I was expecting him to lead. But nevertheless, it was clear in my heart. God was saying, if you want to follow me, this is the way that I want you to go walk in it. Follow me into this opportunity that I'm placing in front of you. And I'd never be here this morning with you wonderful folks if I haven't been willing to step out in faith into the life that God wanted me to have. You see, it had been one thing for me to say, God has called me to preach, and he saved my soul, and he has delivered me from sin, um, and so I'm good now. Now, there's a lot of work that God has for us to do, amen? Amen as we follow him. And so we come to a, an acceptance of his love, a willingness to allow his peace to enter our hearts. And then, you know what? It's like that well with that stream of water flowing underneath it. There's a rising tide in the church today. And I believe that that rising tide is the Holy Spirit talking to you and to me. He's talking to you and to me in undertones. We may not even know that he's doing it. It is this, it is this feeling of when we walk by someone in need of guilt. I did it again. It is thinking about in our life the people that we have to talk to about the Lord Jesus that we we make excuses for, and then the Lord reminds us, you know, that's the most important thing you can do is take the time to minister to the need of someone else. And I don't believe that God is just kind of this policeman with a baton who just decides, you know, after I mess up again this afternoon, to just come and just beat me and say, why won't you listen, and why won't you do this? That's not the kind of God that I serve. I serve a God of forgiveness. I serve a God of love who continually invites me into a deeper trusting relationship with him, a deeper level to him. And I think that that's what Abraham experienced on the mountain. He experienced God's invitation into a deeper relationship with him. And it cost him something. He had to do something in order to find that place with God. To be clear, That action that we follow does not save us. It is evidence of what God has already done in our life. The trouble is that for some of us, we lack the evidence. We lack the proof because we're not willing to take the next step in the journey that God is calling us to. And so I just want us to ask ourselves this morning as we close, is there a step that God is calling you to take? It may just be that opening, beginning, Lord, I I know I've said you're out there somewhere, but I need you in here. That's the saving faith that James is talking about. I need you in here. And we got to be willing to step out of the crowd like with that guy on Niagara Falls and be willing to be the one to get out on the wheelbarrow because we know that God is able to deliver us. And maybe here this morning that we're just we're, we're faithful, we love the Lord, but there's, there's a gnawing or a nagging part of us that just isn't satisfied. 
There is so much need and so much hurt and so much darkness out there, and it's so easy for us to lock ourselves in our church building or to lock ourselves in our homes and then see the needs, and and we just walk on by. And James simply says to me, what good is your Christianity if you don't do anything about it? What opportunity is the Lord Jesus going to call you to this week, today, tonight? We have a homeless ministry this afternoon, and we're going to have an opportunity. You're more than welcome to join us for that. Just see me after church, and and just go and feed someone who doesn't have a way to have another meal. Just go and pray with them and sit next to them and ask them what their name is and how they're doing. And I'm going to tell you, there there are millions of opportunities to make a difference all around you. And if you don't know what they are, then come and talk to me, and I'll help you find them. But what opportunity is the Lord Jesus asking you to step into today and tomorrow and the days to come? Because we want to see revival. We want to see our church grow. We want to see God glorified. Uh, He's going to use you and me to do that as we follow. And I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And then we're going to invite you to have coffee and cookies afterwards. Lord, I just want to thank you this morning for another, another passage that just that hits us between the eyes. It touches our heart, Lord. It is just one of those places that you go that, man, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be reminded that so many times as, as a person who, who loves you, Lord, that, I, that I, I fail to show your love because I'm too busy. Or I'm not willing to make the sacrifice that you are asking me to make to to be a blessing to someone else. And I miss the opportunity, Lord, to show your love to those around us. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that as we're sensitive to your leading and guiding, we would just be discerning of, of those opportunities. Maybe, Lord, this morning there's already a name on our heart. You've already spoken to us about this. Maybe, Lord, uh, the, the way we drive to work, there's already a person that you put on our heart. Maybe, Lord, it's the grocery store. Maybe it's the gas station. Maybe it's at our school or our work or our retirement center or just walking down the street to get some exercise. There are so many people, Lord, who are hurting, who are needy, who are desperate for God's love. And it is one thing to say that we're going to pray for you or for them. It's quite another to put on the garments of our faith and to reach down inside of ourselves and listen to someone else's story, feel someone else's pain, walk a mile in their shoes, literally, to understand what it is they're going through and then then pray to God for a way that we can actually physically demonstrate the love of Christ. Because that's what you did when you walked this earth. You touched the blind. You healed the sick. You caused the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the blind to see. You, you did something tangible in your community that changed it forever. And Lord, I believe that's the church that you're calling us to be right now. Yes, we're a praying church, and we are, we are committed to intercession with you. But Lord, as we pray, may you point us out to be the very answers to our own prayers. Lord, maybe this morning we are the very answer to our own prayer. So Lord, I just pray that you would surround us with your love, 
Surround us with a faith that is authentic and it is real, a faith that works, that makes sense and is, is understandable to others because it demonstrates Jesus' love in a very real and specific way. Teach us, Lord, what that is this week, and we'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord guide you this week. We do want to remind you coffee and cookies are there.